Lord God, one day, we, we pray sooner than later, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. What a powerful name. And Lord, we thank you that we can enter into worship in any way. We thank you that we can bring you the glory and the respect that's due your holy name. And may throughout this day we continue to do the same through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. While there are very few people here today who remember, the World War II generation will never forget the actress Celeste Holmes. She is the one, uh, she was born in 1917, but she's the one, if you're a, uh, a musical fan, she's the one who brought Edo Annie to life in the stage production of Oklahoma. Uh, in 1969, she was on a panel, and they were discussing trends in theater. And uh, she quoted Ed Nelson, who some of you may remember this now, who played a doctor in Peyton Place, uh, said this, Honesty, honesty, that is the thing in the theater today. Honesty. And just as soon as I can fake that, I'll have it made. You know, perhaps one of the most discouraging aspects of modern life is not simply the moral collapse of so many of our leaders, but the low bar that has been set for how believers are to act day to day. I think in large part this is due to social media where we can be... Well, we can present whatever digital self to the world we choose to. There are a lot of happy people out there, at least on Facebook. You know, it's one of these things where the authenticity and the honesty that we have can only be exhibited in the context of community. And yes, there is a level of community in the, on the digital platforms, but it is not this. It's not face-to-face. And it's somewhere where we can present ourselves in ways that are digitally enhanced. If the Apostle Paul were here, he would be very concerned about this because to him... The mark of Christianity, the mark of Christian faith, is that it changes everything. Everything. And authenticity with Christ and in Christ is the thing that we dare not fake. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians five twelve through 28 where we, believe it or not, are wrapping up our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, 12 through 28, where we read, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you 
and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So if I were to preach the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians again, um, I would break uh, this passage into two messages instead of uh, the one. Uh, the reason for that is that Paul is immensely practical, and this deserves a closer look. But I'll mention the Bereans later, and I will charge you to take a closer look as the Bereans did in this closing chapter of 5 for the things that we will not be able to get to. But Paul lasers in on three areas here. How to act towards leaders in the church. This is something that we rarely speak about directly here at First Colony Bible Chapel, but it is part of the New Testament record. Second, how to live with other believers uh, whether at home or work or life or whatever your context is. And finally, how to respond, this, the internal response to the situation, the situations, plural, that we find ourselves in uh, where God has put us. So first, how to act towards leaders in the church, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, we need to, in my opinion, make a slight uh, emendation, a, a change to the text's translation. So I have lived in a cross-cultural context for about 12 years of my life. Many of you have lived uh, much longer in that kind of a context. But when you do that, you become slightly more aware of cultural notions that come through in translation. Uh, so I'm sensitive to this, certainly more than many, not as much as some. And from time to time, you'll, you'll hear me mention those. And uh, in this case, not all, but most translators have come from Western uh, churches that have structured hierarchical leadership. And so what sounds natural to the Western ear, those who are over you in the Lord. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those who are over you in the Lord. We get that. The trouble is the word over is not in the text. 
it's not there. In fact, I think the word over, being over someone, says something that Scripture is actually opposed to. Matthew 23, verse 8, Jesus said to the disciples, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. So we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So what is Paul saying here? Well, I think we need to replace the word with what it actually says. And what it says is those who stand in front of you, i.e. those who are taking public ministry positions and or those who are part of the body that governs the life of the church, not in a sense of being over. If you know anything about servant leadership, it's not the top of the pyramid where the leaders reside, it's the bottom. Those who stand. A better translation, therefore, would be respect those who labor among you and stand before you in the Lord. So the apostle here is talking about um, alongside of rather than over. Uh, There's no suggestion of anyone being over others. What it is suggesting is that there are people who are exercising their gifts in a particular way. And we, we understand this uh, based on, biblically, the church has been given two offices, that of elder and that of deacon. And yet, regardless of what your church background is, wherever you go, you will not really see elder or deacon very frequently. What you'll see when you pass the church on the signboard is pastor and whatever their name is. And you go, where did that come from? And what you'll see is that many churches have a pastor, sometimes deacons, sometimes elders that function in an advisory capacity, certainly not a governing capacity. And so while we see this, you go, where did this come from? Well, over the year, I mean, it's a very practical thing, which I'm not opposed to the practicality of it. I think that the elders for decades here have understood this and have acted on it uh, in a godly way from the word of God. But what has happened generally is that the gift of pastor teacher has become an office. And while that change was meant to streamline the ministry of the gift of pastoring and the gift of teaching as to how do you practically care for someone who has devoted their life to the exclusion of outside employment in order to do this. What happened, unfortunately, was it changed the fundamental character, not simply of the gift to an office, but the way churches are actually structured. So the notion that pastor-teacher is an office and and not a gift needs to be corrected. If it's in an office, then you could... I mean, it's easy to conceive that you could put someone in that office who is not gifted for their work. 
But if it's a recognition of someone who is operating in that gift already, it's de facto impossible to put someone in that ministry who does not have the gift. Because it's a recognition of the gift, not a declaration, not a, now you're a a pastor, go pastor. That's not the way that it works. So what Paul is simply saying is follow those who stand in front of you, elders and deacons. Now, he adds three things for those who follow, those who stand. First, the word we see in the text, it says respect. And I like that word, but the word in the text actually is to see them. To, to see them. Well, I mean, that, that seems silly in some ways, doesn't it? But it's not silly. And I believe that that's why this translation, although not the word, is actually a good one because respect is perfectly understandable. I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again because it's something that I would really like everyone to have and hold in their hearts in this, this, this word respect. Re is the prefix which means to do more of or more at. So this is something that you do again or more of. And spect is where we get our word spectator or spectacles to inspect and introspection. Those kinds of words mean to see, to look. So said another way, these People who stand in front need to be seen. Their words must be weighed, even in disagreement. And so whatever their giftedness, the the elders and deacons are charged with certain responsibilities in the church. And in leadership, there's always the potential, actually, I would say, always the expectation of misunderstanding. And when that happens, what Paul is saying is do not render them invisible. That's what he's saying. You cannot render those who stand before you in the Lord invisible. It doesn't mean that you have to agree. It just simply means that you take a position where you weigh their words. The words mean something. Second, there to be esteemed very highly in love. In other words, you, you, you value them. And understand that leaders, all leaders, let me rephrase that, all people are subject to the same physical, emotional, and relational limitations as anyone else. So if you, you look for someone to have some degree of per- perfection... Just take that word, just that word's not a good word in uh, relationships. Maturity is a much uh, better word. We're looking for people who are, who are mature, uh, but not, they're not perfect. No one is. And so we have to recognize that they're to be valued for the work that they are doing. They're to be highly esteemed. Regrettably, and I'm going to go back because I want to beat on that drum just a little bit, Because it's so important to understand that what Paul is talking about here is not what we commonly see in church structure. One of the ways 
the church has through the millennia tried to esteem and love their leaders is, is by giving these magnificent titles. And I'm not even going to go through them, but there's so many that are out there. And, and the thing is, is listen, for me as, uh, as one who operates in the gift of pastor-teacher, I appreciate the fact that you call me whatever you're comfortable with, whatever title that might be. Or no title at all, simply John. Or I will even answer to, hey, you. But I like John the best. Let me tell you why. There's less distance. Less notion of over, more notion of alongside of. And you may have noticed something. This is not just a personal preference. This is what I find in Scripture. You may have noticed that the Apostle Paul does not go by the Apostle Paul unless he's really making, unless he's saying, okay, all right, people, listen to me. I'm doing an Apostle thing here. Paul went by Paul. Peter went by Peter. James went by James. John went by John. Matthew went by Matthew. Mark went by Mark. Luke went by Luke. Do you you see the pattern here? In other words, it is always right, biblically speaking, to call leaders in the church by their first name. Now, I realize there are cultural influences uh, to the left and to the right, but regardless, from a biblical perspective, if Paul can be called Paul, I can be called John. Also, to esteem them very highly is not only coming back to that, I'm not by that implying that that's what you should call me. Just you call me whatever whatever you'd like. But to esteem them very highly is not only to not render them invisible, not only to uh, value them, but it's also to express esteem in a practical manner especially those, as I mentioned before, who, who have been called to exercise their gift to the exclusion of other employment. And this is why Paul wrote to Timothy. This is specifically why Paul wrote to Timothy. And he said, if an elder leads well, don't you love that? If an elder leads well, can I hit that drum harder? He is worthy of double honor. What in the world does that mean? He gets paid twice as much? That's not what it means. Because the first honor is the honor of being esteemed. That has a value all by itself. This is why it's so difficult when ministers of the gospel shame Christ in some way or another. Because that esteem that has been granted is, well, you just feel ripped off, don't you? Wouldn't you? But there is a second kind of honor, the double honor, and that is the honor of compensation. And as already mentioned, uh, this church has understood this from the word of God for decades and have followed it. And then thirdly, Paul writes 
uh, be at peace among yourselves. Now, there's, there's an interesting thing here. Does this go with the leadership section, or does this go with the everybody section? It's somewhat divided, but I tend to think it goes with the leadership section. Be at peace among yourselves. It sounds like a general statement, but it's connected to the previous words of of Paul such that it suggests an intentional, a deliberate, and a steadfast refusal to create or to become a part of a faction. You see, Paul wrote about this a great deal in other places. That's one of the reasons that tends uh, me to shift in that direction. Because from Moses until today... Factions have never worked, not in the church. Uh, We must never group around one person or one ideology. We must not play favorites. We must not attack others. You know, Paul talks about, listen, when you listen to this, it's it's absolutely fascinating because he says uh, factions around Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and... Christ. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You can't be in a faction with Christ. Oh, yes, you can. You most certainly can. One of my sayings from long ago is, God save us from godly men. What I mean by that is not godly men. I mean men who think they're godly because they will do great harm In the name of Jesus. In verses 14 and 15, Paul gives three general admonitions. Now we come to this general piece where he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So now he's moved, he's shifted from the leadership and how the those who stand in front are to be uh, viewed. And now he's talking about all of us, that we all have a responsibility here. One of these responsibilities is to deal with three categories of people, idlers, faint-hearted, and weak. You may have different words in your, your translations, uh, but the I'll, I'll try to say a little bit more to to kind of put them in a, at least uh, where you can have hangers to, to hang them on, to put them in your mind. Admonish the, the, the idlers, that the word there is actually uh, disorderly, is what that means. But it's a very specific kind of disorder. It's not just, you know, uh, mayhem, uh, that, that sort of thing. It's a very specific word that's used when a soldier breaks formation by marching out of step. The first day you get off the bus, those of you who have been in the military, the army, whatever, you know this. The first thing that you learn is your military left. You would be amazed how many people go in the service and they don't know their left from their right. Arrow left, arrow left, arrow left, right. You learn how to march in step. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about. When he says, admonish the idlers, what he's saying is, get in step. You're out of step with the church. 
you're out of step with what you should be doing for Christ. Get back in step. So this is admonish them. Do this. Get back in step. And essentially, if you've been in the military, you know that if you can't get in step, you kind of have to sort of get out. I wouldn't carry the metaphor that far, but sometimes church discipline may even be called into order. Second, encourage the, the faint-hearted. I love the way sometimes the language in, in Greek is, uh, and Hebrew as well, and I suppose in other languages, but I love it when it's just, it's more graphic, it's more to the point. What it says is little souled. People with little souls. In every group of people, there are those who are easily frightened. And those, uh, those who are, they, they don't have an abundance of what one might call giftedness. Or they, they may feel inadequate. They don't think that they belong. They don't think that they can contribute. They're small in their own hearts. And so they don't even want to offer a voice. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to offer an opinion. They don't want to be involved in the ministry because they will feel that they will fail. And, and what Paul says is encourage them. Everyone in the church is gifted. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he says, The ear cannot say, because I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body. No. Even if it says that, it does not make it any less a part of the body. Did you hear that? A part of the body can say, I'm not part of the body. I don't have any giftedness. This is what he just said. He said, even if it does say that, it doesn't make it any less not a part. And so those of us around that person, we need to encourage them. We need to ensure that they know that they are gifted and give them a way to exercise that. And then third, we're to help the, the weak ones. While there's some discussion about this one too, based on Romans 14 and some other places that Paul uses this, I, I don't think that what Paul is talking about is moral weakness. Otherwise, he wouldn't say help them. Oh, let's help the morally weak. That's not what he's saying. What, what he's saying is help those who are doctrinally weak. And when I say doctrine, uh, that's too high sounding a word. Help those who feel that God has not forgiven them. Help those who cannot let go of the guilt of their past. Help those who have a very little sense that God is with them or that God is for them. Help those people because they need to be helped. The word more accurately means hold them. Hold them fast. And that may demand a little extra effort on our part. Remember, this is not talking to the leaders now. This is every one of us has this obligation and responsibility. It may require a, a phone call, uh, perhaps an invitation to lunch. It may, it may require a, a nice private conversation. Tell me, you know, what is going on? And then he tells us some qualities that are required to do this kind of work. He says, be patient with them all. See that none of you repays evil for evil and finally do good 
to one another and to all. One word that perhaps you've heard me should rattle a, a memory or two is I've mentioned the word hupomene. That's a word that means to bear up under. In, in that sense, it does mean be patient with, but that's not the word here. The word here is specifically designed to talk about being patient with people. Being patient with people and being patient with them such that if they hurt you, you do not retaliate. Non-retaliation. You don't strike back. You don't hit them back if they hurt you in your process of helping them. I mean, your goal is always restoration. It's always reconciliation. That's what we're looking for. So finally, you can see why I wanted to divide this into two messages. Because this is worthy of exposition, and I'm having to move through uh, very quickly. So we come to our attitude toward God in 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First, rejoice always. Be joyful. I mean, the pressures of life, goodness, you could not have watched the news with any kind of heart that was open over the past week and and not be devastated for the people in Ukraine. But we have an inner resource. I mean, James writes in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2 of his book, Count it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials and temptations. How in the world could you possibly count something joy in that context? It's because we have an inner resource. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And then Paul says, be prayerful. Pray constantly. That's how we draw on this inner strength. And then he says to be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you this is the second time in the book that Paul has said this this is the will of God the first time he says this is the will of God that you know how to preserve your own body in moral purity so that's the will of God for your body but then he says here this is for your spirit that you give thanks in all circumstances and he wants us to do thanksgiving i challenge you to offer thanksgiving and and have a sense of everything is wrong at the same time you can't do it then he says he says a couple of things again that worthy of uh, more time Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. A couple of simple things are here. One, don't ignore the spirit's prompting. Don't do it. If you are a believer, I assure you, you have felt this. The spirit of God telling you to do something Or not to do something. Stop doing that. Start doing this. It's the way the Spirit of God works. Listen to that. Give in to that. And second, do not despise 
prophesying. That, that is, do not ignore the word of God. F.F. F. Bruce wrote, prophesying is declaring the mind of God in the power of the Spirit. Now, while the New Testament was being written, they didn't have the books that we do. They had the Old Testament, or what they would have called the Scriptures, what we could today call the Hebrew Scriptures as opposed to the Old Testament. We may come up with some other term. But while the New Testament, during that time, it was oral. That people were speaking the Word of God to the people. But we have the Scriptures now. There's very little need for prophesying of other kind. It's not that it's exclusive to that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that it is primarily and larger that. And then Paul adds, test it. Anyone can say, you know, in the deep and dulcet, melodious tones, this is the Word of God. Don't believe it. It's not that you don't believe the person, you don't trust the person. It's just being the Word of God enough yourself to where you can say this is true or not. You're in the Word of God. What is said will harmonize in your spirit. I mean, Paul commended the Bereans specifically, specifically in contrast to the Thessalonians. When he says in Acts 17, 11, or where the scripture says uh, that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of heart and searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And then as we move towards our conclusion with regard to the resources that God provides we have so many wonderful things. May the God of peace... Oh, I get to say my what I wanted to say at communion. Irene, if you know anybody named Irene, that's the, where the Greek... That name comes from the Greek. That means peace. But that word, as Jesus was talking about it, you know Jesus didn't say Irenae. He didn't. He said shalom. And shalom is not the absence of something. Shalom is the presence of prosperity of the heart, of the soul, of the mind. It's the fullness of what God gives to us. It's not the absence of war. It's not the absence. Of course, it's those things as well. But it's actually the presence of this. May that shalom be with you. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. While we hardly need to discuss that, uh, there's an understanding there that God can touch all the areas of our heart and he will do it and we must respond. And always remember this, that at the end of the story, or more accurately, the beginning of our new story, is until the coming of our Lord Jesus. All through this letter, that's been the great hope that's been set before us. Jesus is coming again, and Jesus' kingdom will come to this earth. Our life is very short. Uh, I just, I just want to take a, a couple more minutes here. In 2018, 
there were 13 boys on a soccer team who were stuck in a cave. You may recall, this is recent history here, in Thailand. The story is dramatic and tragic. When they finally found the boys, they were kind of tucked up in a, an area that had not been flooded. Uh, the oxygen level was only 15%. So if you're a medical person, you know that that's not going to sustain life over the long haul. The rising waters would literally flood the cave to include that part for three months or more. And so through just tremendous efforts, 5,000 people were involved in this. But in the end, it's an amazing thing. There were three or four, what shall we call them? People who looked more like me than the Thai Navy SEALs. I mean, those guys were buff and ready for action. But it was those people whose cave diving was their lifelong hobby. They were the ones who went in and got those boys out. And one of them was a doctor. And that doctor had to put those boys under anesthesia. It's a long story. I can't go into it. But that was the only way they could do it. And they had to be carried from that place of death to a place of life. And if that's not a metaphor for what our life is, we don't see ourselves up in some stinking hole with no oxygen going to die in a day. But you know what? We are. And if someone doesn't come and entirely on their own take us out, we would not live. And yet that is what Jesus Christ did for us. We may not feel the intensity of what I'm about to say, but one day the curtain will close. And only one life and sometimes life is short. Always. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, or as one has said it, only what's done by Christ will last. Father, we we are so grateful for the love that you give to us, the patience that you have for us, the non-retaliation, all of the things that you ask us to do for others. You've done for us infinitely more. We thank you for Jesus Christ that he gave his life that we might live, that he carried us while we were dead to life. Thank you, Lord. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.